0: back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul and I am your host. Today I have a very special guest. I know him primarily as my dungeon master in my weekly uh, D&D session. His name is Josh Mowery. Josh, thank you very much for coming on the show.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me, man. I I appreciate it. It was both intimidating and uh, (laughs) exciting to be asked by you to
0: do it. So I've known Josh for for several years now. I have played some music with him. Um, like I said, it wasn't a joke. He actually is the dungeon master in my D&D group. Um, but he also owns a brewery and this all ties together into the theme of the program, I think. So, Josh, let's start with Cincinnati. So why were you in Cincinnati, Ohio of all places?
1: Yeah, um, well, you know, like many people uh, that have experiences in Ohio, it was because I was born into there and as a child could not just leave my parents at any given moment. Um, but I mean, all joking aside, uh, I, do, I do love Ohio and miss many things about it, but um, Cincinnati specifically was due to uh, where I went to college. Uh, I'm from North Central Ohio, much closer to like Cleveland. Um, a lot of my formative like music experiences, going to see bands play and everything, pretty much Cleveland was the city I okay. always went to. It had a lot more fun um, places to see punk rock shows than Columbus. Columbus had a couple of good ones, but Cleveland was much more fun a city for that. And then my older brother wound up getting his first job and going to college in Cleveland. So that was when I was like, sort of in that in-between where you're old enough to go out into a city with your sibling and you're not quite young enough that your parents are feeling great about it. That would be <laughs> Cleveland uh, for me. But uh, I wound up going to a small uh, a school in a small town. the school's not small. Uh, Miami University of Ohio uh, is in Oxford, Ohio, which is like in the taffy pole between Dayton and Cincinnati. But huge population of Cincinnati people who wind up going to that university. So um, that's how I wound up being pulled into Cincinnati, uh, during and after the fact music wise. So, so
0: m- people in the Pittsburgh area know Miami of Ohio, of course, because that's where Ben Roethlisberger is famously from. So that's, yes, that's I, the uh, thing.
1: <laughs> I entered as he was leaving. Um, Funny enough, the guitarist in my band uh, was in the same freshman hallway as him. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah, he had he had a few stories. Our drummer uh, from the band also had a few stories that weren't quite so flattering, involving <laughs> um, Ben Roethlisberger hitting on his girlfriend. Yes, so.
0: Ben's early reputation certainly was not a good one.
1: Um, yeah, with all of the tact you'd expect Ben Roethlisberger to have when hitting on. Him, um, so. So but,
0: yeah, so so you were in college and you were playing in bands, and if if I'm correct, you majored or minored in music at this time.
1: Yes, I, uh, I had a minor in music performance. One second, um, and uh, that was mo- that was uh, for upright bass actually. Okay, um, I was. Uh, I mean, the long story short is that I started. I taught myself piano when I was really young. Um, learned to read music. That was hugely helpful um started you know as a little fourth grader playing violin but then broke my arm in eighth grade no seventh grade and the only thing I could play with a cast was a bass uh, upright bass so um you know and that's not a um, instrument that any child of any kind is lining up to learn uh, (laughs) at the age of seventh grade so I was the only bassist and uh, wound up really loving it um Loving the place for the bass in orchestra, then the place for the bass in like jazz band. uh, And then eventually, uh, you know, uh, I was a kid that listened to classic rock all the time for my parents growing up and then got into punk rock in middle school. And so, you know, going to a bass guitar was like the next uh, step, obviously, and then just figured out that I could both... Get more gigs and uh, interest girls more if I was at it, uh, played guitar as well. So it just became like a whole thing. But my the thing that I played in university for, uh, like keeping my scholarship and like uh, sort of sort of keeping me most disciplined was the upright bass.
0: And the upright bass is a large instrument, and you're a big guy, so th- so that makes some kind of sense to me. It's hard to imagine a little dude playing upright bass.
1: It was convenient, but um, we were uh, we were outnumbered by one one more than half percent were uh, female in the upright bass oh, section okay. at my university. Um, and I was also it was a really intimidating experience for me. I taught myself all of the instruments that I played in high school, um, and I just really really loved the bass. So I, I was uh, like literally the last person in line in bases at Miami. I wasn't that good, <laughs> but um, everybody else had been somebody who had like went into private lessons and stuff like right, that to get what right. well, before college. So um, that was like a really eye-opening and, and broadening experience for me. It was so, essentially being thrown into the midst of it all was, these. Was it like
0: whiplash? Was it like that?
1: <laughs> no, there was uh there was no symbol <laughs> hurled at my head at any given point. Um, my orchestra conductor was an Italian gentleman, so it was more like uh, Roberto Benigni uh, directing the orchestra <laughs> than um, what's his name? He played Schillinger and uh, Oz. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was it was great. I mean, I had uh, being a music performance major, I had to or minor, I had to be in three. At least three musical classes so it wouldn't cut it just to be an orchestra and jazz band so i wind up joining the men's glee club at miami and that's essentially like a 120 uh, person male choral group um, and i had never formally sang either so again just sort of getting thrown in the deep end it was a lot of fun it made me a much better singer um, and in jazz band i mean because miami was a large enough school with a large enough music performance performing arts program um, I got to play uh, bass with Dave Brubeck. He came to Miami oh, wow, University. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I got to I remember playing take five with Dave Brubeck in like the practice room. <laughs> oh, my God. That's intimidating. Uh, Yeah, I mean, after that practice session, I was like, I've peaked. I will never have a more amazing experience, (laughs) musically speaking, than getting to play with, I mean, the guy was 90-something at the time. He looked like a a gust of wind would blow him away, but it was amazing watching him play. Uh, He was just as lively on the piano as he he was in his recordings. So Um, it was very, very cool. It it definitely brought me to a place where I could do something that I would never uh, have otherwise been able to do. So
0: you're doing all of this formal study in music, in college and you're also playing in cover bands out in the night fight, and I, I know you were doing quite a lot of that um was yeah, there I... was there any thought at this time to that you were gonna try to do something in music I mean Ohio it certainly isn't the hotbed of where you know big uh, giant <laughs> music scene uh no disrespect to my friends in in Ohio but you know you have to go to Nashville you have to go to LA or whatever so was there any thought maybe I could do something more with this
1: yeah I mean I think that I started out um, you know wondering the first year or two at Miami being like am I gonna be in a place where because that was sort of what the the minor was was I thought I wanted to go to law school had a pretty good idea that that was never going to be something passionate for me you um, other than I'm i I'm, I'm a history buff, I'm a, a a law buff, but it's not, it's not the same as like playing music or like cooking are two things I love to do creatively. And I wondered, okay, am I going to be in a place midway through college where I feel like I'll be able to be like the last chair on like the Dayton Philharmonic if I wound up in Dayton or whatever. Um, but never really thought. Uh, after a couple of years, I was like, you know, I'd probably just not good enough. Um, I I'm good enough to play in sort of any like amateur group, but professionally, um, I, I didn't necessarily see myself as having the discipline or, or even necessarily the talent to do something like an orchestra, but what did land in my lap, which I discovered sort of became this thing where I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe this would be an option, um, was when I did start playing with some cover groups. Um, I never thought of myself, um, talented enough to make uh, original music. Um, every time I tried to write something, I felt like it was either painfully derivative immediately, <laughs> obviously so, to something, or just was not good. Um, but what I found up, I really loved doing was playing out in the bars. Um, when I was a sophomore, I had a really good friend whose group of friends were in a band who had spent two or three years Becoming like the if this if this is impressive sounding the hottest cover band in uh, Oxford, Ohio. Uh, But I mean, they had a copy right
0: there. That's good copy. I know. Right.
1: (laughs) Um, And this was a time this was 2004 through 2008. This was a time when like there was a lot of 80s nostalgia. And so they played a whole book of great 80s covers. They also played everything from like Killing in the Name of to the Gin Blossoms. They had no problem playing the two next to each other. And in this really weird way, it wound up being the kind of thing that people absolutely would love to go out and see for a few hours on Friday and Saturday night. Right. So they had wound up getting a regular gig as like the house band every other Saturday at one of the biggest bars in Oxford. And then they were the house band every other Saturday at the other biggest bar in oxford and um they had never had a bass player they had been playing with a drummer two guitars and a keyboardist (laughs) who was the lead singer with (laughs) no bass player for two years uh and they were like you know this works with drunk college kids but we would just really like to feel like we have more texture so we're gonna look for a bassist And, and my buddy said hey i got this guy he's a friend of mine And so, uh, you know, they contacted me and were like, hey, do you want to, would you be interested? I said, absolutely. Um, You know, let me know what it, let me me know how you want to audition or whatever. And the week of a gig, they just sent me uh, 200 songs, a list of 200 songs. We're like, this is all the stuff we play. We'll see you on Saturday at the gig. (laughs) And I just (laughs) went into my room popped in earbuds and like literally just learned every bass part I could um, uh, as much as I could for, for five days straight, which wound up being, and I took my best guess as to what is the most likely thing they were going to play at the 200. And so uh, Saturday night I show up for the gig. Uh, I find out that essentially they booked two other guys and I'm, they're just going to play three gigs in a row with three different guys and decide who they want to go
0: Okay. That's a, that's uh, actually a good way to do it. Just again, like you were talking about throwing people into the deep end and seeing how they do. Yeah.
1: yeah. Baptism through fire. And if you're the kind of, you know, what I came to learn with them was they're, they're a band that, you know, they get kind of drunk in their shows. They <laughs> have a raucous time. They work off the energy of the crowd. And so it, it did make sense to me afterward. Um, but I remember the first song they wanted to play on the first set to, to open up the gig was, uh, have you, uh, let's see. Yeah, Have You Ever Seen The Rain by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Okay. And immediately in my head, I, oh, this is great because they've never played with a bass player. They've never let in with the bass line. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I could see in their eyes as soon as I let in. I was like, yeah, these guys are just realizing they should have had a bass player for a very long time. <laughs> but um, luckily, I, had, I really had like completely ignored all of my other responsibilities for a week. So um, they wound up at the end of the gig, they were like, we're not even going to talk to the other two guys you're in. So um, I wound up running with them, but um, I, I, and I sort of parlayed that into um The band's called the the band was called the Rum Runners, and they were just known around Oxford because, again, it's like a it's a town of three thousand when school's not in, and a town of twenty five thousand when it is in. And so these college bars, they just they knew the name, so I used that to be like, hey, I'd love to get some Thursday happy hour gigs, and sort of worked it into when I would be playing a couple solo nights and a couple band nights uh, every week. Um, and I loved it because I'm just, uh, I mean, you know me well enough to I'm, I'm a little, I'm very awkward with people. I'm a little bit of a misanthrope. Uh, and so I really didn't want to go out and be in a really too loud bar uh, with my friends not hearing what they were saying every Friday and Saturday night. So I loved playing music every Friday and Saturday night. I had no need to, like my favorite thing going out with my friends was like Sunday evening playing darts and having two drinks and then going back to my place. So you do that
0: for for some years, but at some point you end up as um, like working in law. I, I don't you can tell us exactly what you were doing in Chicago. So how did you get from playing in in dive bars and having a lot of fun and making money to being in Chicago doing something completely different?
1: Um, so that was, and I had a lot to do with because I, I got through, um, undergrad. I, at that point had become a regular gig musician. Um, and I also found, I was very surprised. I found myself completely in love with just, uh, being like, a a guy who played other people's music um i had no problem playing covers um a couple times i played in the studio for somebody writing like a, a solo album and was just like the studio bassist um and it, i just loved the hell out of it i i had no problem being that kind of musician at all and so near the end of my undergrad I was planning on either uh, looking at the cruise lines or like Disney world oh, or man. Las Vegas, yeah. just be wow. uh you know, just to be a gig musician and one of those sort of realms where you can make it a steady, regular thing. Um, and then I met my wife. Um, I started dating her uh, right before senior year and just recognized three quarters of the way through the senior year. They're like, this person is the most stabilizing, <laughs> wonderful thing to ever happen to me. Um, and if I go off on a cruise ship, like I'm going to duff this, that this is not going to be something that <laughs> survives, I don't think. Um, and so uh, when we graduated, we both wound up getting going to one year grad school down at University of Cincinnati. Um, both of us went to paralegal certification courses. Essentially, it's like the first year of law school if it's All an right. accredited paralegal program. So it was great because I got one year of law school under my belt, really recognized um, based on you get an internship, you are around law and you realize I realized quickly the kind of law I wanted to do was the kind of law you needed to go to Harvard or Virginia or Michigan and have gotten a way into these firms that are very hard to get into just stumbling in off cold. And I was going to have to get into like something miserable and depressing, like social security law or something like that, and just eat it for (laughs) 10 years if I wanted to move into something like that. Um, So I wound up, uh, you know, you get out of grad school. I'm from a town so small that my Walmart has a hitching post for the Amish (laughs) on Saturday. And that's not a joke. That legitimately is a thing. There's a hitching post on my Walmart. Um, and then my wife is from, you know, Western Chicagoland. And uh, that was an easy decision for two right. people with paralegal certification right. looking at right. do other 20s. Right. Um, so, so, yeah. sky
0: so now I want to jump. All right. So now you've 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 basically gone full day job route, right? So you've done the music stuff. You've had some some fun and some good times. You thought about making it a career somehow, but now you're your full day job. And now if we jump to when when you and I met, now you're the owner of a brewery. And this will tie back to music here in the next few minutes, but you've always struck me as the kind of guy that, oh, this seems cool. I'm going to try this. And so then you try it and see what, what happens. Um, But, you know, I've talked to my friend Pete, who started a music store in the middle of a pandemic. I talked to Jimmy in episode 100. He decides I'm just going to start screen printing out of the blue, you know, so that kind of stuff. So I personally have never had the courage to do that. I'm very happy with my day job. It allows me to do all the stuff that I do. But just starting something out of the blue seems so daunting that I can't even imagine it. So you did the thing that every bearded Midwesterner wants to do, which is start a brewery. So what the hell, Josh?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so that was, uh, you know, this is at risk of sounding like I have lots of, uh, different yet boring periods of my life. Um, I, I when I was in high school you know I was a punk rock kid who had a construction work job on the summer and winter and that was because I wanted to be able to make as much money as possible in short bursts of breaks and not have to have like a pizza delivery gig during the year Um, and so you you made more money but you were doing 6 a.m. I literally was uh, digging ditches kind of thing Um, uh, painting a helipad in the summer like with the sun beating down on me kind of thing on construction work I love to working with my hands though. Uh, and then I all my life loved cooking and I'm kind of a science geek. Um, and so, uh, you know, you get into your mid 20s, you're working a day job in an office, it's not enjoyable. Like my weekends were where I did something fun, creative, different, weird, and became a home brewer. And it just so happened that my wife had two brewers in the family. And it was sort of one of those things that I was a hobbyist on Saturdays, heating strike water in my garage at 5 a.m. like an insane person uh, on the Saturday. But then I'd like see her uncle at a family function to be like, so wait, 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 wait. They like pay you Monday through Friday to do this a thing. Um, and, you know, it's a lot like being. cook in a 5,000 square foot kitchen. Um, You do lots of weird, interesting things, but at the same time you have to be able to take apart a pump and rebuild the insides of it. Um, Change out gaskets, understand like pressures and heat transfer and it's all kinds of weird, wild shit. That's in a also mostly blue collar job. I mean, you're really a glorified janitor who has to also then understand like, you know, the thermodynamics of stuff that you do in the brewery. So it's a very interesting, weird job. And that really spoke to me. So, but there's the two halves of
0: starting this business, right? So, uh- my, my impression of a brewery is it's maybe not as risky as starting a restaurant, which, you know, nearly all of them fail. But there's still a huge amount of risk involved because of the expense. There's just an enormous amount of expense to, to start it up. So there's like the brewing part of it, the blue collar stuff that you're talking about. But there's also running a business, right? How to not yeah. run a business into the ground. There's both of those things. So how do you just decide you're going to do it?
1: You just make an insane decision. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, it took me, because also I'm not, I like I, I'm not from a family that had like a great aunt who was crazy or or, or uh, just out of it enough that I could talk her into giving me 400 grand or whatever. Um, so I really, it took, I mean, I partnered with someone who had a ton of experience in pedigree so that I could help peddle that. Excuse me, and took five years um, to find the money. And so I just had to track people down who were interested. Um, My whole plan was to cobble together a bunch of people with a little bit of money each so that there was not some sort of hugely pressured, big fish investor who was like, hey, gave you $200,000, really wondering where that money's coming, uh, when that's coming back. Sort of everybody as an average was ten to $20,000. Um, but uh, because I have a legal background, structured it so that essentially myself and my partner had complete and utter day-to-day decision-making. No one had any ability to, to weigh in. I heard insane stories about breweries that hadn't structured well with like the managing partners who were brewers and then like the silent partners who were money and they all want to weigh in on like taproom glassware and it'll take literally 14 (laughs) days of emails because somebody who put some money and like, no, no, I have an opinion on the Pilsner glasses. (laughs) So, um, you know, it took me five years and a long time just to sort of get it all to where it would be the right. Nothing's ever safe when it comes to opening up a business that requires huge pieces of equipment. But, um, you know, it was something that everybody felt more secure about. And also, I knew that I'd I'd have creative control of the thing. Uh, And that was really just because I have a little bit of a streak of wanting to do what I want to do and not being told what to do, but I don't mind it. Um, it's, it's really just that like uh, when you're talking about something like brewing, you only get to make 20, 25 beers a year and you can, you quickly run out of like making all the things you want to make. If you can only make two of the 25, because you're part of a bigger thing. Um, so it, it was just a, Wanting to try and make something of my own, Um, you know, I never wanted to grow something to sell off for a big bundle of money. Um, For me, it just seemed like something that I could maybe be successful enough that if my kid wants to go to MIT, she can go to MIT um, and pay for it. And then I can just get through to, you know, hopefully she goes to MIT, works for NASA and I can just live (laughs) off of her once I I have her.
0: That's a a good plan. So yeah. now now tying this back to music, um, you, you open Miskatonic Brewing Company, it happened to be in the town where I lived at the time, and I started going, and then I got to know the people that work there, and I got to know you, and then come to find out, you know, a lot of us are musicians and we want to do stuff. And so that's that got the ball rolling to let's do some shows together, let's have shows in the barrel room, let's have shows in in the, uh, uh, what's the what's the part where people drink? What's that p- part called? Of the-, the tap room? Yeah, the tap room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we got to be friendly, right? And we've done shows together. And now it's sort of like, hey, Paul, I want to do um, a show of grunge. Here's 50 songs. Can you, can you pull together a band and learn those and I'm going to sing them? And so that sort of relationship has been fun because now you've been able to tie it back to stuff that you've wanted to do without maybe having to rely on that for, for other things. But before I have you weigh in on that, um, you forced me to listen to Roger Klein. Um, (laughs) and then finally I, I got it right. And now, I'm, I'm, I, I would say I'm a Roger Klein fan, but we went to see him in Chicago and that you kept buying us, uh, tequila, and that was the drunkest I've ever seen anyone in my life, uh, still standing and enjoying music, somehow coherent, but just clearly drunk, and that's that's you. That's what I remember most about that night, more than anything else.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so that is, it's it, you know, it's interesting that you, yeah, when you asked me about talking to you for this podcast, um, the only angle I saw in my mind of, like, what I can bring of any interesting <laughs> – or different angle is, um, I feel like as someone musically, when I did undertake the brewery, um, I had to take, I had to, and I knew it up front, but to, to bear it out for five to seven years is a whole different thing than just knowing it up front. I knew that I was going to be taking a bunch of other things that I enjoyed doing in life and putting them in a box and like putting it up on a shelf. Right, um right. I knew that it was going to be 60 hours, 70 hour weeks, the first couple of years. Um, I knew that I was going to be running a, 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 a business that both requires like 6 a.m. brew days and also a tap room that's running every night, every weekend, and then beer festivals every Saturday during right. the summer. Right. And I just knew that I was going to be giving up almost all of my recreational time for this new project. Um, And I am somebody who does like to, I get into something a little bit and I'm like, I want to, I want to figure this thing out and and play around with it and dig into it. um, And then wind up finding other projects. But music has been something that up until I opened the brewery had always been something that was a part of my life. And it, woefully went to the side in terms of me playing music um, for a long time once I started the brewery. But if I can and,
0: interject there, but even, and so I agree that that's all the case when, when we first met, but you were always very supportive of like the scene. You know, when I said, I want to bring in some people to play, you were like, yeah, great. Do, you know, do what you want. You didn't even give me like a hard set of rules. You were just like ha- make music happen. And it was, it was really cool to have that sort of like genuine support for, for uh, artists in the area.
1: Yeah, I, um, and that was something like, you know, you you mentioned like finding people that start a business or something to be uh, something that you find like it scares you or you yeah. can't, you know, yeah. it impresses you or something along those lines. I have to say, well, at the risk of sounding like I'm, I'm kissing the ass of, of my interviewer, <laughs> um, when I met you and started to get to know you, uh, there are people you meet in life with different aspects and yours being music where they are just like a um, there's someone who starts sparks, starts a tinderbox and sets fires in people and places. And it was so cool to get to know you because um, I very quickly was like, oh, yeah, this is a guy that helps drive a scene um, in the area. And. You kind of broke me out of a crystallized hibernation when it came to music stuff, and I've I've I, I've never talked to you about, it, but I am very grateful. Oh, that's cool that's because you were like the first thing that woke me up after I put that hibernation on my music side, um, and it was always something I wanted the brewery to have in the tap room, but got so buried by everything else that it, it would have not probably happened if someone like you hadn't come along. So the minute I had somebody who was like, I mean, I'll, I'll do some of the legwork. I'll get people in here. It was like, yes, 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 yes. Even though, you know, our budget was shit and you were like, Oh no, I, I know people that'll play for beer or for 20 bucks or whatever. It was huge. Cause the other thing was as, as a musician, Um, you know, you had mentioned in a different interview on, on a different one of your episodes, like, uh, that you're a kind of guy, you, you, you play for beer. And I was always one of those guys. Like if someone was like, all I got is $80 or you can have an open tab or whatever. If I was, it was a Thursday night. I just loved the the experience to get out there and, um, especially being a cover guy at a happy hour. Like you're kind of just like a modern day minstrel. You're just a dude playing in a tavern. And um, I really loved that you were like it, but I also am someone who am very worried about coming off like I'm trying to take advantage of musicians. So it was always like a try and communicate as much that we can try and back it as much as possible with cash, but having people who are going to just be able to do Wednesday nights knowing it's really just a a place to play music and keep some energy going. It was great having that come in. And when you left for Pittsburgh, it was like the saddest thing to me. (laughs) Um, We've been able to, you were able to keep a momentum going so that when you left, we've kept rolling it in the tap room, but it has been harder without having somebody like yourself that is just sort of a, a gravity center for, for doing that. And yeah, it, it, it had always been in me to want to do that. And to be honest, if I won the lottery tomorrow, what I really would love to do, my dream would be to have a um, brewery that is kind of a music hall. Like essentially you have so many brews that are tap rooms that don't have a kitchen or have a really tiny kitchen. Just take one of those and have a stage and have it be a place where people can get great beer that was uh, brewed on site, but also something like that. And and so you helped us turn it uh, turn our place into like a shitty shitty halfway version of that. Um, it's,
0: it's the perfect punk rock brewery, is basically what I what I tell people. If you want to come and have a cool show with uh, no pretense, Miskatonic is is the place to to do that. And so I still love putting on shows there. But <clears throat> just one last thing here before I let you go, <clears throat> how nervous do you get now when you say, okay, let's do? I'm going to choose these. 30 grunge songs and we're just gonna do a show because again it's something that you put down and you're just picking it back up again so I put together a band we show up we didn't rehearse with you but you're just gonna fucking sing them anyway so do you get do you get really nervous with that sort of stuff
1: I I don't. Um, The only thing that makes me like I am legitimately 10 times more worried about letting the rest of the band down if I don't feel like I rose to the occasion enough. Um, You guys are always great about clearly just looking to have fun. So that helps immediately me in a place where I'm more comfortable. Um, But... eh, I've played with you guys enough to know that the band's going to be solid enough. So for as long as I'm hitting like the bare minimum low bar I've set for (laughs) myself vocally, And I feel like the crowd's at least getting energy from the performance. um, That's all it needs. And I'm also somebody, I'm somebody that like my record collection upstairs is like Roger Klein, Lana Del Rey, uh, Black Star. It is all over the place. I'm just a guy that loves hooks, man. I love... I love like a a hole that you accidentally fall into of just like grooving. And that's one of the reasons I love to take you to Roger Klein because I have never had a group that I've more loyally gone to see anytime they're in town. And I make a point to try and find somebody I know who loves good music, but does not love that kind of music. It bring them yeah, because it I, works. Almost, it works, it's a hundred percent hit rate yeah. with that group because they're just energy. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're here to bring a whole experience to someone. Right. And it's just about sort of the music and the fun. Um, and yes, it does involve drinking. I used to, two years of my time as a, a gigging musician in Cincinnati, I was a, a tennis court maintenance guy for a clay court tennis club in Cincinnati. And we would play until two in the morning go drink more. And at four 30 AM, I was out on the courts, uh, oh grooming God. play courts until uh, noon. And that was the end of my day. That's uh, awful. And so I spent year I spent years honing an ability to have my body poisoned to an extent I should <laughs> and, and still the, function. Would,
0: right. Yeah. And, and still, still function. function. Yeah. yeah. So I, and
1: we would, you know, we always just stayed one step behind the crowd in drinking uh, when we were in college. Um, and unfortunately that crowd would go pretty hard. So we still find ourselves <laughs> in a place where just gym blossoms, man, if you can play, you can play gym blossoms <laughs> completely blasted. So, uh, you know, I don't do that anymore, but uh, yeah, when the comes out, that's probably yeah. when I get my, in my, my element the most. So.
0: Last, last thing here, very last question. If you have to choose, you can go, someone's going to pay you to, to go on a cruise and you'll make enough cruising around playing music for six months that you don't have to work the other six months or you can do your brewery thing that you're doing now or you can be a professional DM. <laughs> Which... <laughs> and dm means dungeon master for those who who don't uh, do nerd stuff so of those three things josh you got to choose one of those what are you doing
1: is the brewery still here when i get back off the boat
0: no it's you you can't you can't have both it's it's one or the other It's gone.
1: it's it's all gone (laughs) (laughs) all right so you need to ask me this question once my kids are on their own independently Uh, yeah well that's true that makes a big
0: difference about what you're gonna do yeah. yeah
1: Yeah, get my get my kids on their feet i think even my wife would forgive me if we if i was like we're going on a boat for 6 months i really really want to play the bar on the bottom of a boat for 6 months so amazing but, amazing yes ab- absolutely yes I, if someone offered me exactly what i needed to close up the brewery to buy it and then i get to go on a boat for 6 months after my kids are 25 <laughs> count me in all right
0: well, I want to thank everyone who's listening. Please continue to do so. Please tell your friends and your mom and dad about the podcast. Please continue to support us. Give us like, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is all very much appreciated. Thanks to Josh Mori for spending some time uh, with us and telling us these stories. It didn't seem like it was part of the thing, but, I, you know, I, knowing your experience, I felt like it was a good fit to hear about this weird, very weird journey that you've been on.
1: I appreciate it. And I appreciate you doing this podcast. I love listening to everyone's experiences. Thanks, man.
0: All right. Be safe. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Cheers.